Congress. A uh, large gathering of, uh, of young people and um, more than just young people, but so, so many people there. And we had a good time, about 35,000 plus people in the uh, arena there in St. Louis worshiping God. And, and if you've ever been in that environment at all, uh, let me just tell you, you need, if you haven't, you need to. If you have, you know what I'm saying. If you know, you know. Whenever you're in an environment like that, the air is electric. It's um, the way we were uh, part of the staff, part of the security staff. We had uh, suites. It's like the box suites you see in the football games where the owners are sitting up with their arms crossed, you know, right way up. So we had, the, we had access to those box suites, which are kind of cool because you have the monitors where you can watch the service, but you can also walk out into the stands and, and get a sense. But... The, you're, you're watching it on the monitor and it's really cool, but whenever you just step out into the actual environment, honestly, it's like there's electricity in the air and you, you can feel it. It's palpable. It's, it's, it's there. And I would, I would like for all of you to experience that at some point. It is just it's awesome whenever you see the movement and you see and you feel the praise of, of especially young people. You know, it's, it, I, I love to see worship and I love to see praise from everyone. But whenever you see it from young people, there's something special about it. Because we know, as the Church of the Living God, the, the crosshairs really are focused on the young people. I said it last week, we're, we're going to... I can't wait for what God is going to do. We're going to focus on our children. We're going to focus on the, on the young people because I believe that God has something special for them. But I also believe that the enemy really wants to destroy them. In fact, they're saying it. They're saying it all over society right now. We're coming for your young people. And we know that you're coming for our young people. So we're going to do what we need to do to make sure that we're coming for our young people. And we provide the counterculture... Remember when counterculture used to be a bad term? Well, counterculture is not bad anymore because we're the true counterculture. We're the true counterculture to the wickedness of this world that wants to destroy families and destroy children. And, and I just I was excited to see what, um, what was going on in St. Louis and see so many young people just on fire for God. And, and desiring to work for God. And you can just feel it in the air. It's, it's amazing. Sorry, I'm rambling. It's what I do. I ramble a little bit. I apologize. But uh, it's, it's amazing how whenever you, you, you're in the vein of the Spirit and, and you're preaching and you just feel the direction of the Holy Ghost, uh, how it's confirmed later on. And it was actually confirmed this week whenever uh, some things that I said... And I felt in prayer here in weeks past, and, and I said last Sunday, were some of the same things that were said uh, during Youth Congress. And I believe that God is raising up young people. He's, got, he's raising up young people to do a work. He's raising up young people to be musician, musicians. And not just any musicians, skilled musicians and criers. <laughs> That's my baby girl. Come on, let it out. Just praise Him. <laughs> He's raising, up, he's raising up people, he's raising up children to be skilled musicians. I believe in the near future we're going to hear some of the best songs ever written from our young people as they're developing and as the grace and the presence of God is moving upon them in the darkness of this hour. I believe we're going to hear some of the greatest musicians that we've ever heard raising up right here 
even among us. I believe it. I believe God is going to move and He's going to raise young people and children up to be a counterculture and to be the, the opposition to the darkness of the world. Because where sin abounds, we know this and we believe this, grace doth much more abound. So I, I'm not going to focus on darkness exclusively. I'm going to recognize it, but I'm, I'm going to focus on the light and the truth and the grace and the mercy of God as He's providing it for us today. And so good to be here. So good to be here and so good to feel the presence of the Lord. I feel, I feel good in the house today. Do you feel good in the house? All right, all right. I, I want to remind the church of our installation service, of course, August 26th at 2 o'clock. It is a Saturday at 2 o'clock. We're excited about that. We have uh, a lot of family and friends, um, especially from down south, that are planning on coming up. And I just, I can't wait for them to meet you. I can't wait for you to meet them, of course, but I really can't wait for them to meet you. Uh, whenever my family comes here and they get to see where God has placed me and where God has allowed me to be a part of such a wonderful body, I, I just I want to brag on you a little bit. I want to I want to I want to just say I'm honored. I'm honored to be here among among such a great group of people leading and working in the kingdom. And so remember that if you can, August 26th, our installation service. Uh, let's see, I, housekeeping, have we, have we gotten everything taken care of? Are we ready to move on now? I, th I think we're good. I'm a little tired. I'm a little tired because everything I said about the young people and how great it was, young people can be young people. So I'm exhausted. We, we, uh, I'm a part of... Uh, hotel security li liaison for United Pentecostal Church and whenever you're providing security at a youth congress with 35,000 people in hotels it's it's a little tiring so about three o'clock in the morning whenever people are still going crazy in the lobby and you have to start clearing house you're like God help us Lord <laughs> so I didn't get much sleep on Friday night didn't get much sleep last night but but we're here and and I'm excited and, and glad to be here. I'm going to preach today a, a message that some of you have heard. I've heard, um, I've heard some of you come up to me and mention that you've seen it online. And, uh, and I, f I feel to, to preach this today um, because I believe it's a timely message. How many knows we don't sing the same song? We don't sing songs just one time. Well, we don't put messages together just to preach one time either. That would be a waste. That would be a waste of time, resources, and a waste of uh, the Spirit of the Lord moving upon you to, to uh, get a message together. So whenever the Spirit moves you to preach a, a message that you've preached before, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want to miss that. So I'm going to preach today something that some of you have heard, many of you probably have not. Uh, but it is a very interesting principle that I want us to understand. I believe in principle and I believe in understanding principle of the Word of God. How many knows that understanding principle is key to the larger picture of understanding God? Now I understand, we understand that God is infinite and it is impossible to completely grasp and understand how great He is and how big and exhaustive He is, but 
uh, whenever you begin to break down principles of the Word of God, that's the, that's the key, that's the area, that's the door that you go through where you start to understand more of Him. So we're going to talk a little bit today about, uh, uh, about some of those principles. I want us to understand from the beginning that there is a very real parallel between the natural world and the spiritual world. Do you understand that? Do you understand that there is a parallel between the natural world? Whenever I say natural world, it means just that. It is everything you see around you, everything you experience with your senses. Uh, there is a very real parallel between that natural world and the invisible spiritual world. The, the, we have the visible, but we also have which we from time to time as human beings, as flawed human beings, we forget that there is a very real spiritual world. There is a very real parallel between this. Uh, Hebrews uh, 11 and 3 says that th the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That's not my text, that's just a brief, you can stay seated. I'm, I'm switching things up just a little bit today. So that lets us know that everything we see is directly influenced and even created by the unseen. Uh, we need to understand this. The natural world is mirrored by the spiritual world. It goes even deeper. The, the natural world that you see, it's almost like a, a mirrored image of the spiritual world. And I start to think, and when you start to think about this, and whenever I start to think about this, I can't help but think about... Uh, the, the human body, you know, for, for example, if I were a designer, if I were a creator, um, not, wouldn't be a very good one, but if I wanted to, to design a human body, uh, and one of the key features of the human body, of course, would be a sense of balance. If you don't have sense of balance, if you're not balanced, then there's no point in going any further because you have to have the balance to make sure that the, the created being is upright and usable and can be useful. So if I were going to, uh, to design and build a human body, I would have to think about where, okay, where am I going to put this center of balance, this center of balance in this body? It seems to me like the best place would be right in the center of the body. It just seems to me like if I were going to design a, a human being and I wanted, wanted it to be a balanced human being, I, I should put the center of balance, the center of gravity, the center of balance um, right in the center of the body so that the body could be useful and balanced. But uh, as I said, the natural uh, mirrors the spiritual and God, whenever He designed the spiritual, the, the, the body, whenever he designed man, he said, I'm not going to put the, the center of balance in the center of body. The, the, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it a little bit different. I'm going to put it all the way up here in the top of the head. I'm, I'm going to put it right in here in the ears. Now, that doesn't make much sense to me because it seems like that's just going to the center of balance. Now, being up high is going to make it very difficult to be balanced. But God does things differently. He says, no, the natural 
mirrors the spiritual. And I want the natural world to recognize that the spiritual world is in union here. And the reason he puts the center of balance up here in the head, and not just in the head, but right here in the ears, is because he wants you to understand that even in the natural, whatever you listen to is going to cause you to be a balanced or an unbalanced person. Are you with me today? I have that center of balance right up here in my ears that keeps me standing here before you today and not falling over. But in the spiritual, in the invisible, I have that mechanism that keeps me a balanced person also right up here in my ears that if I exclusively listen to one thing all of the time, that's going to cause me to be an unbalanced person. Oh, you already know where I'm going. You already know what I'm getting ready to say. If you exclusively listen to uh, talk radio or if you exclusively listen to negative music or if you exclusively listen to uh, certain things, that's, cause, that's going to cause you to be an unbalanced person. It's going to cause you to be far right or far left. So God is trying to help His people to understand that mirror. That, and I don't want to harp on this point too long, but He, he wants us to understand that connection, that, that the, the way the natural world and the spiritual world are mirrored and are connected. I was reading a, uh, a story some time ago about a, a young pilot in Africa. He, uh, he was, he'd just learned, just gotten his... Uh, his solo license, and he was flying a small single-engine aircraft over the beautiful terrain of the continent of Africa, of one of the countries there. And as he's flying along, you know, roughly five, 6,000 feet, he, he looks down and he gets really enamored at something on the ground. I, I don't know what it was. It could have been a herd of wildebeest or, or something there. And, and he just, he said, wow, that's very interesting. So he said... I've got the, the luxury, I've got the, the freedom here that I can just, I can watch this for a little while. I don't have to just fly on by. So he says, I'm, I'm just going to circle this for a while. I'm going to go into a turn and I'm going to look at this. Maybe it was a herd of something that as they're moving, it kind of looked at the altitude like it was a river just flowing. And he, he became entranced and just wanted to watch it for a while. So he simply started turning to view it. And after a few minutes, he started realizing that what he was watching on the ground below him was getting closer. And whenever you're by yourself, a new pilot in an, air, in an airplane, uh, whenever the ground's getting closer to you, that's, that's a sign that something's wrong, especially if you're not intending for that to be the case. And as he's realizing that, something's get, that, that the ground is getting closer, he realizes uh, something's wrong here. What did I not do? What did I? And as he, as he goes through the checklist in his mind, did I do this? Did I do this? He realizes that he forgot a very important principle of flying. He forgot that the moment he decided to turn, that that turn took energy. He forgot a very important principle of physics and of flying that the moment he decided to go into a turn, that that turn pulled energy out of the aircraft that was keeping it at 
6,000 feet elevation, to divert energy to the turn, it had to reduce energy from somewhere else. And it reduced the energy from maintaining 6,000 feet elevation. So all of a sudden, I was turning and I'm descending. He realized uh, there's something very important that I need, I need to remember here as a young pilot, and it is that turning takes energy. Going back now to what I said just a moment ago, how the, the spiritual world and the natural world are so closely related, we need to recognize that not only in the natural world, if you're flying in an airplane, uh, does turning take energy in the spiritual world, in whatever you want to do in your life for God or to better yourself in education or whatever the case may be. If you're going to do something and if you're going to turn from whatever you were doing, you need to recognize that turning will take energy. Turning will take effort. Turning will take some effort on my part if I want to leave the, the elevation or the status quo or the stagnant nature that I'm currently living in. If I'm going to turn to something else, it's not enough just to turn to it. It's not enough just to turn from your wicked ways. It's not enough just to turn toward. You have to bump up the throttle just a little bit and you have to put some effort into it. Remember what I said, the natural and the spiritual are related. They, the, the, the laws of physics in the natural world are representative of some laws in the spiritual world. If you want to become an educated person, how many knows that you can't just cruise through school? Now you may be a very smart, very gifted person and you cruise through high school, but the moment you got to college or the moment you got to graduate school, the moment you got to a certain point, you probably realize Realize I can't just mail it in anymore. I've got to step it up just a little bit. I, I was a gifted person in high school and it came easy to me, but now I'm realizing that if I'm going to focus and I'm going to turn toward a higher education, I need to be uh, I need to put some effort into this, some some more energy. How many knows also in the house of God today, the moment you decided I'm going to start going to church but you didn't increase the energy to go to church. How many knows that you felt yourself starting to descend? You felt yourself starting to get tired. You felt yourself starting to say, Oh Lord, it's time. the ground is getting a little closer to me right now. This is just a little harder than I thought it was going to be. The reason it's harder is because turning takes energy. Turning takes effort. Turning in anything, in any area of your life, especially turning to God, takes effort. It takes energy. It takes, it takes something within you. It takes something within your, within your being to say, I'm, I, I'm going to understand at this point that I, if I'm going to be productive, I need to increase something. How many knows that Sunday morning church, especially at 10 o'clock, uh, <laughs> 10 o'clock is early on Sunday for some reason. The rest of the week, whenever you're getting up at 6 and 7 and 8, that's early. But for some reason, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, it is so difficult it's all of the sudden it's the equivalent to six o'clock in the morning during the week 
everywhere I go. And if you have a 10 o'clock service, it takes forever to get people woken up. I, you just look out and people are sleeping. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not pointing out anybody here right now. Somebody over here might have been asleep just a few minutes ago, but I, that's no problem. But, but there's something about it. There's something about that Sunday morning thing where you realize that if I'm going to make a decision to go to church on Sunday, I can't make it on Sunday. It's a Saturday night decision. Sunday morning decision to go to church isn't just a Sunday morning decision. It's a Saturday night decision. I have to plan. I have to put effort into coming to the house of the Lord. I have to put effort into uh, uh, scheduling time throughout the day to pray. I have to, take, I have to put effort into, into scheduling time to read the Word of God. I have to put effort into this. But that's not what I was told. I was told it was supposed to be so easy and you're just supposed to set it on cruise control and God's supposed to take care of everything. No, the natural world mirrors the spiritual world. The moment you turn, you have to increase energy because turning takes energy. Energy, effort, a course correction takes effort. So I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about this principle. I'm thinking about, and it's like, I, I, I want to preach this. I want to preach this good message. I want to preach this point. But I, I can't really preach it that good. I need some word. I need some, uh, I need some uh, biblical prince. I need, I need somebody in the word to preach this better for me. And there's nobody better than Peter. In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, he, he preaches this message so better than I could ever preach it. Whenever he says, reading from the King. James Version, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Brother Peter, for preaching such a good message. You may be seated, you may go home, you may go to Applebee's, whatever the case may be. It just feels like that he just preached that great message and everybody's good to go, right? Well, unfortunately, if you're like me, whenever you read repetitive scriptures like this, the moment it starts getting into a rhythm of repeating is the moment I check out and go to sleep. I'm the only one transparent among you, I guess, because everybody else is so holy. Whenever you read, uh, this person begot this person and this person begot this one, apparently your ears peak to attention and you don't have a problem with that. Well, I want you to know I have a problem with that because the moment I read some scripture like this and there's this rhythm involved, I want to zone out and not pay attention to what is being said. So I miss... So much of the scripture because I can't keep my ears and my mind focused on what he's saying. But Peter here is preaching such a wonderful message, but we don't even realize he's preaching such a wonderful message. He starts off by saying, and beside this, giving all diligence, all effort, increase, add. He starts off right off the bat, just going to my, uh, going to my message and preaching what I, I'm, I'm trying to preach here. And he, he says, with all diligence, add, increase. 
In increase what? Well, add to your faith. Faith is starting block number one. Thank God for faith. Thank God for that place where He's given us a measure of faith and He's allowed us to recognize that He's, cre He's the Creator. He is the God that created the invisible and the, and the visible. He is the, He is the one true God. Thank you for that, but you're not finished. It's good to have faith. It's good, it's good that you have faith here. Peter is preaching, but you've got to add something to your faith. You've got to add something to your faith. Don't just think that faith alone is enough because it's not enough. You've got to build upon your faith something. You've got to add with all diligence. You've got to turn up the throttle. You've got to, you've got to increase the effort just a little bit. You've got to add to your faith some morals. Oh, yeah, now, okay. Talk to me, Peter. Now, I'm starting to listen. Now, I'm out of the repetitive uh, old King James Version, Middle English stuff where I don't know what it's saying, these and thous and those, and, and I, I, I don't really know what it's saying. But all of a sudden, if I break it down and I realize what you're saying, it starts to make sense to me. Preach to me, Peter. I've got to add to my faith what? I've got to add to my faith some morals. I've got to have an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. Now, I know that's very difficult for some people because all of us come from different backgrounds. All of us come from different cultures and different places. And some things we don't understand might be wrong or might be right, but we never really knew it because of the culture, the background, or the family environment that we came from. But, but that's, not, that's not an excuse. Peter here is saying, you've got to understand something. You've got to add to your faith some morals. You've got to be a part of a group of people that help you to understand what is right and what is wrong. And if you have an open heart, and you have a pliable heart, if you have a soft spirit, and you allow yourself to glean this knowledge and this, this understanding, then all of a sudden things start to make sense to you. And all of a sudden you start to grow. All of a sudden, you've placed a little bit of effort and energy there, and you start to develop. And that's what we really are here for, right? To develop as sons and daughters of God, to develop as Christians, to develop as, as people of God. That's what we really want. So thank you, Peter, for preaching to us that we've got to add to our faith some morals. But Peter looks back to us and says, but I'm not finished yet. You're not finished yet. You've still got to add something. Well, what do I have next to add? I've, I've added to my faith some morals. I'm doing what's right now. I've got an understanding. Well, that's not enough. Now you've got to add to your morals some knowledge. Some knowledge. Now we're talking. Now that's you're talking my language now, now Peter, because I like knowledge. I I really like being smart. I really I I haven't been smart very long, but whenever I do feel smart, it makes me feel really good. So thank you, Peter, for for touching on something that's going to make me feel really good because I like knowledge. I like being the smartest guy in the room. Never have been, but. Uh, Somebody said, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. So, so here we're talking now. We've got, we got to get some knowledge. We've got to add to our morals some knowledge. What he's saying here is, it's not enough to have this sense of what's right or wrong. What you need to do is add knowledge to that as to why something is right or wrong. If somebody's going to tell you something is right... I want to know why it's right. 
I want some knowledge as to why it's right. If somebody's going to say, you don't need to do that anymore because that is wrong, and God doesn't like that, well, I appreciate that, but you need to go a little further than that. I want some knowledge as to why that's wrong. So that's what Peter's saying here. You need to add to your morals that people have been helping you to add to your life. The church has been helping you to add to your life. But don't stop with just adding morals. Add some knowledge to that. You need to know why something is right or wrong. If you don't add knowledge to morals, you start dancing dangerously close to that world of legalism where you're just doing something because you were told to do it. And that's not what God wants for us to do. Of course, He wants obedience and He demands obedience. But He doesn't want you to be unknowledgeable. He wants you to understand the principles of the Word of God. And He wants you to understand why something is right and why something is wrong. Okay. Feels good. Close it up. We're done. No, we're not done. Peter says, no, no, hold on, guys. Not time to go to McDonald's yet. No, no, you're not finished. You added to your faith some morals. And now you've added to your morals some knowledge. Well, you've got something else to do. You're still, you're still, you're, you're still cruising. You're still turning. So you've got to bump up that accelerator, that energy effort just a little bit more. And now you have to add to your knowledge some self-control. Woo, Peter, you could have gone all day. You didn't need to talk about this. Didn't need to talk about this stuff. <laughs> you didn't need to talk about self-control, Peter. He said, no, uh, no, what you need to really need to do, you're getting into some deep stuff here, and you need to understand you've got to control yourself. See, you've got this thing about you, this, this, you've got this soul within you that causes you want to, to do things uh, uh, abruptly sometimes or it causes you to want to do things whenever you want to or it causes you to want to do things according to whatever scenario or whatever lustful position or scenario you're in. So he's saying whenever something comes on you and you've added to your faith morals and you've added to your morals knowledge uh, I want you to understand something now what good is it to have knowledge as to why something is wrong if you can't control yourself from doing that which is wrong Ooh, Peter man I don't like when you preach like this Peter I'm not preaching this this is Peter I'm just repeating what Peter preached so you can't attack me this is what Peter preached you've got to add to your knowledge self-control whenever you're walking down the street whenever you're looking over across the street and there's this beautiful young lady Oh, dress so seductively. What you don't have to do is stare her down like you need to let her know that you are interested. What you need to do, young man, is to recognize that you have the, you have the ability to turn your head. 
Whenever you're online and you're clicking through and there's clickbait here and there and the next thing you know there's something so nice and seductive and oh my hand just wants to go right over there and click and go to that. You don't have to if you add to your knowledge and to your morals some self-control. Oh Jesus. God, you got to help us with this one because, oh, self-control is tough. That's a tough one. But I think I can do it. I think I can do it. Through the help of the Holy Ghost, I think I can add some self-control. I think I can control myself. I think I can turn my eyes away. I think I can turn myself from... I think I can do, as, as Paul said, I can flee youthful lust. I think I can do it. I'm, I'm good to go. All right, what's next? Are we done? Nope. Peter says, nope, you're not done. You're not done. Why do you keep wanting to run out of here? You're not finished yet. But I want to be finished because I can't take anymore. Well, he says, buckle up because it's going from bad to worse. Now you've got to add to your self-control something else. You've got to add to yourself your self-control something a little bit more difficult. You've got to add to your self-control some patience. Oh, Jesus. Oh, you could have said anything but patience. Because God knows in 35,000 people this week, oh, patience was far from me. God knows whenever, whenever I'm in a situation where uh, somebody is waving that one-fingered salute at me on the road and, and the last thing I want to do is exercise some patience and the last thing I want to do is to submit my flesh and to allow patience to be exercised. But what Peter and God Himself is saying right here is if you allow patience to come to fruition and to develop within you, I can spare you some things. Because the Bible says that tribulation worketh patience. That is whenever you don't on your own accord add patience to your life. He has to send tribulation, trials and trouble to you to teach you patience. But Peter is saying here, you can side skirt. You can, uh, you, can, you can avoid so much trial and tribulation if you through your own effort and accord add patience to your life. And if there's anything I hate worse than patience, it's tribulation. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me a way of escape right here. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to add to myself something that's going to help me to avoid, maybe not all, but some tribulation, some trial, something that you're going to send to teach me something. It's all right. Now we're cruising. Now we're cooking with gas. Now we're, now we're moving. Now I've added to my faith morals. I've added, I've added to my morals knowledge. I've added to my knowledge self-control. I've added to my self-control patience. I'm, I, but what else do we have? What else do we have, Peter? Come on. I'm, I'm cruising now. I've got this throttle down. to the. I've got the pedal to the metal. I, I know what to do. I'm ready to go. Now what do I have to do? Bring it. Bring it, Peter. Now you've got to add to your patience, godliness. Godliness. Now I'm not an incredibly smart person, but it seems to me like godliness should have been right after faith. 
it seems to me like godliness is a little low on the list. Is, am I right? Is it just me? How about some feedback? Is it just me? Say, somebody, please say no. No, it's not just you. <laughs> it's, it's not just you. I'm out on a limb here. Help me out. It seems like godliness. Godliness should be right up there at the top of the list. Add to your faith godliness and then everything else. But no, he's got it way down here on the list because he's trying to help us to understand something. You've got a job to do. You've got responsibility to do. You've got something you have to do for yourself. And whenever you get finished, adding all of these things that you can do for yourself, how many knows it doesn't take a, 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 an act from heaven to exercise self-control? It just takes discipline. That's something that you can develop and do for yourself. So God is saying, add to yourself all of these things, add to your faith all of these things that you can do for yourself, but after you're finished adding to yourself all of the things that you can do for yourself, guess what? You've got to add something that you can't do for yourself. You've got to add to yourself something that only He can provide. You've got to add to yourself something that only through the grace and from the throne room of heaven He can provide to you. And that is godliness. That is a sense of godly nature that everything I do falls short. Everything that I do is incomplete. Everything that I do, although required of me, is incomplete. So God is saying, now you've got to add to everything that you just added to yourself. My nature. Whoo! And that starts to get difficult. That really starts to get difficult right there whenever you start thinking about adding His nature to myself. And that's whenever you start to realize that you're, get, you're getting out of the shallow into the pool and you're starting to wade out into the deep whenever you start recognizing how much we need His nature upon us. How much we need His nature to really snuff out and baptize and remove our nature. Now we're getting deep. Now we're getting into the, we're getting into the deep water. Now we're, but I think I can do it. I think we can do it. I think we're moving now. We're, we're adding to it. We're, we're moving. So what's next, Peter? Is it time to go to lunch yet? What's next? Not time to go to lunch yet, but you're almost there. Now you've got to add to your godliness kindness. Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. Thank you, Peter. Man, I thought it was going to get more difficult, but I've got this one down. I've got this kindness thing down. You don't understand, man. I know how to smile. I know how to be kind. I know how to... I've read Dale Carnegie. Has anyone read Dale Carnegie? Please give me feedback. I'm struggling here. Give me some feedback. Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Has anyone ever read that? That's such a good book. Such a good book. It's not biblical at all, but it's a good book. We should really rename it How to Manipulate People to Get What We Want. Because that's what it's really about. We're going to put a smile on our face and we're going to steer and we're going to position you until you give me what I want. I need to make a sale 
So I'm going to manipulate you to get the sale. And I'm going to manipulate you by being kind. So I've got this kindness thing down. I can flash a toothy, coffee-stained grin, and I can just be kind to you, and I can, I can lather you up with warm butter, and I can make you feel real good, and the next thing you know, you're going to give me what I want. But that's not what kindness really is. That's not what godly, biblical kindness really is. That's what our version of kindness is, but that's not what God's version of kindliness is. God's version of kindliness and being kind is recognizing when someone is in need. And now it's time to walk. All right, somebody's on the hot seat. Who am I going to use? No, I'm not going to use anybody. God's version of kindliness. I just came from Congress now. Whenever you go to Congress or you go to any type of Congress or camp or any type of conference, you're going to see people smiling from ear to ear. Hey, Bo, how you doing? Good to see you. How's the church doing? Well, it's doing... Where'd you go? I, I thought we were getting ready to have a conversation, but you've moved on to the next person. Anybody ever been there before? You, you, you thought you were getting ready to talk to somebody and you were getting ready to have an interaction with someone and you were going to have a moment of kindness with someone, but they've already moved on to someone else or the whole time they're talking to you, you they're scanning the room looking for somebody more important to talk to. Or the whole time you're talking to them, they're thinking about what they're going to say whenever you finally finish talking so that they can speak. Anybody been there? Anybody been that person? I've been that person. I've been guilty of that. I used to go to places. I used to go to these conferences. I used to be that 25-year-old guy that would walk in with a little strut thinking that I was uh, cock of the walk and I thought that I was this and I thought that I was that. And I, I realized over some time that you're, I was being disingenuous and I was being, uh, I was being glib in all of my conversation and my response to people. I was superficial. I wasn't truly kind, but I thought I was being kind. I thought I was being what I was supposed to be, but that's not kindness. That's fake glibness and insincerity. True kindness is taking a moment to talk to someone and allowing your eyes to look into their eyes, the windows to the soul, and understand something with them. Understand what? I don't know. It could be anything. You could have a conversation with you, look into your eyes and realize through God-given discernment that there's more to what you're saying than you're actually saying. I know you're smiling back and you're saying this and you say, you're saying you're fine, but I'm perceiving as I'm truly taking a moment to stop and have an interaction with you that something's deeper, something's going on. And maybe I just need to take just a moment out of my schedule and not worry about everybody else that might be around that's more important than you. And truly have a moment of kindness. Not niceness, kindness. 
What does kind mean? Going back all the way to beginning, to the beginning that things reproduce after their own kind. It is a family bond. So true kindliness, true kindness is recognizing that I have a connection to you that is much deeper than surface. You're scared to death. I'm going to pull you up and start walking, right? We did that a couple of weeks ago. I pulled him up and we started walking, but I'm not going to do that. Maybe I will. Man. But it's that moment where you just you stop for a moment and you recognize this, this person, maybe they need something. Maybe they need something to eat. They're not even asking for anything to eat, but maybe they're hungry. And I, maybe their family needs this. And what, what can I do for them? A gift of discernment starts to work in you and you start to realize there's, there's probably something I can, I can do for them. But what you don't realize on the other side, the person looking back at you, if they're walking in the Spirit just as you're walking in the Spirit, they're doing the same thing. They're not thinking about their need. All of a the sudden they're thinking about your need and you're thinking about their need. And there's this moment of true kindness, true kindness, of true, true family connection where we provide for each other something that hasn't been met yet or we can't provide for ourselves. So that goes much deeper than, the, hey, Bo, good to see you. How you doing? I'm moving on to somebody more important. Who's going to help me? Who's going who's gonna to make the sale? Who's going to do this? Who's going to promote me? Who's going who's gonna to have me preach? Who's gonna, and that's what evangelists do. Now, I've been there. Now, I know that. I'm going to talk to the pastor with the most money. With the biggest church. I'm going to talk to this pastor. But it's all those peon pastors that, that, are, that are working hard, don't have any money. Uh, uh, we ain't got time for them. I'm going to go talk to the bigwigs and be really nice to them. You see how it really, it really gets into all of us at all levels? Superficial glibness, and we haven't really understood the true principle of kindness. Biblical kindness. That's the reason that's graduate school. That's the reason that's the level of this list that Peter's trying to preach. I mean, last week I got long-winded. I'm getting long-winded again this week. I am so sorry. But we're almost done. We're almost done. Kindness. We've got to get into this deep level where we stop and we're in the moment with somebody. I, I, I feel, the, I feel the, the Spirit of the Lord right now confirming this because I believe this is something. If we can master this as a church, it's, it's, going, to, it's going to blow the walls and the doors off of this place and people are going to be coming from everywhere just to be a part of true kindness. Not superficial kindness. Not somebody shaking hands with you but trying to move you out of the way. Have you ever felt that before? Man, I've, I've been to churches before where I've walked up, thought I was getting ready to have a moment with somebody, shaking hands, and they're steering me. I didn't even realize it until it was... They steered me somewhere else by shaking my hand. And two seconds later, I'm like, what just happened? I... I was, I was right here, thought we were getting ready to talk, and they just steered me somewhere else, and they're gone. Don't let that be said about us. We're not going to steer anybody. We're going to have moments of kindness 
with everyone. And we're going to allow ourselves and others to reciprocate back and forth so that we can help one another. How many knows that somebody off the street might have something to offer you? I'm not talking about a job. I'm not talking about a sale. I'm not talking about a connection. I'm not talking about a network tree. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about a moment where somebody who is poor off the street might have something that you, who you don't think you need anything, but you might. And they might have something to provide for your soul. God works in weird, mysterious ways sometimes. All right. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Are we done? Are we done, Peter? Because that's all I can take. I'm, i, I got to be finished now. Whew. Peter says, nope. One more. you got to add to your kindness. Now, this is the big one. You ready? It's alert the conference steering committee that we're getting ready to drop the hammer on the point of all points. Alert the district board that I'm getting ready to give you the most profound point in the history of preaching. <laughs> Tongue in cheek. Okay, what do we add to kindness? Help me out. I'm bated breath. I'm ready to go. You add to your kindness love. Oh, that's easy enough. Let's go eat. We're done. Well, are we done? Because we just talked about kindness and our understanding of kindness isn't what really kindness is. Could our understanding of love be flawed? Well, spoiler alert, it is. I've got this thing about myself where I love steak. I love cheesecake. If you go to Houston, Texas, there's a steakhouse there called Taste of Texas. They have the most mouth-wateringly delicious filet mignon there. If you go to Spokane, Washington, there's a steakhouse called Churchill's. They have the most incredible ribeye that you can eat. It's, it's great. It's perfect. I love steak. So is that the love that the Bible's talking about? See, in English, we're very, uh, we, we think that our language, language is a superior language for some reason, but it's not because we have about 15 different meanings for any one word. How many remembers back in the 90s whenever Bill Clinton said, well, it depends on what the, uh, the meaning of the word is, is. I almost started to go into an um, uh, accent there, but I, but I didn't. And we laughed at him. So many people laughed at him. Depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. How, how dumb could this man be? He's not dumb. He's very smart. In fact, in Black's Law Dictionary, there's about 17 different definitions for the word is. So he was breaking it down and getting people trapped into legalese to start defining things and properly defining things so he can uh, use that to go around and obfuscate and et cetera, et cetera. So we need to understand whenever the Bible in English says love, that isn't what love is. It's not what our version of love is. 
Like I said, I love steak. I love cheesecake. I love my kids. Well, which one do I love more? Depends on the situation. <laughs> so the Bible and God is saying, whenever you add to your kindness love, you need to go just a little bit deeper than your understanding of love. You need to love... Oh, this is hard. You need to love like He loved. There's a story in the New Testament where how many understands the story of the prodigal son? Well, the Bible doesn't call him the prodigal son. It calls him the son that lived a prodigal lifestyle. But we, for some reason, have changed it. But that's beside the point. But there's the story about the prodigal son that just spits in his dad's face and says, you know what? I really want my inheritance now. What that means is you're dead to me. You're dead. I don't want anything to do with you. I want, I want my inheritance. I want what's mine. And I want to be rid of you. But it's the love of a father that says, I hate what you're doing to me right now. I hate that you're spitting in my face. I hate that you're, that you're cursing me. I hate that you want me dead but at the same time I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to give you what you want so you can go on your way but it's the love of a father that sits on the front porch every day looking down the road just waiting for his son to return it's the love of a father that says you spit in my face and you you cursed me and you wrote me off but I'm not writing you off. I'm I'm just not I'm not giving up on you just yet. You may have you may have talked trash about me. You may have told me that you hated me. You may have you may have spit in my face. You may have slapped me in the face, but you know what? It's the love of a father that says every night I'm going to the room. I'm going to get out your ring with the family crest. I'm going to get your robe. I'm going to make sure it's Febreze, real nice and fresh. You know, while you're gone I'm going to make sure your ring is shined. And, and for, in fact, I'm going to go over to the stalls and I'm going to say, pick that best calf right there and let's make sure it's fat because I believe that that son of mine who is still my son, even though I'm not his father right now, I, he's, he's going to come home and we're going to party. We're going to party like it's 1999. We're going to party. <laughs> you may remember that reference. But anyway, we're going we're gonna to party. I'm gonna, it's the love of a father who says, he may have spit in my face, but I still love him. And I'm still waiting on him. I'm still waiting. Anxiously awaiting his return. And then all of the sudden, the Bible says, during a time of famine, that the son comes to himself. He says, you know what? It's time to go home. God's calling His church to be a church full of love that during a time of famine, whether it's COVID or post-COVID or whatever else is coming next, and the people who have left us and left this assembly or left other assemblies, they're going to come to themselves and they're going to look for the road home. And He wants His entire church to be so full of love that whenever they start down that road home, we don't sit back here like, all right, you failed, didn't you? Come kiss the feet, kiss the ring, and beg for my forgiveness. He wants us to be so full of love 
that the moment they come to themselves and they show any attention about coming back to church, what do you do? You pick up your robe. You do something that is that is below your status and you expose your leg and you run to meet them. You don't sit back with judgment saying, no, come ask for my forgiveness. Come and beg me for my... You failed and I knew you would fail. Don't rub their face in it. No, you run to meet them with a father's love that says they spit on you. They talked about you. They talked trash about you. They slapped you in the face. They said they wished you were dead. But you said, nope, I have love that the father has. How many believe that that's what's getting ready to happen? I believe that as we're coming now to this place in 2023, and who knows what the world is going to, what's going to happen all around us. But the Bible's very specific in this story that there was a famine in the land. It doesn't take a genius or a Bible scholar to recognize that there's a famine in our land right now. There's a famine in the world right now. And it's causing people to want to turn their eyes back to the church. But we can't be a church full of judgmental people waiting to put them in their place. Well, guess what, bud? You failed. You're going to have to sit right over there for six months before I can ever have you do anything in church. Oh. Here's your robe. Here's your ring. Welcome home. Now that's, that's hard to take for professional Pentecostals. That's a hard pill to swallow for some of us whenever we've got our theology severely in place and there's no room for error. We, that's, hard, that's a hard pill to swallow that this is really what it takes. Turning takes energy. Turning to God takes energy. And Pharisees, turning takes energy when you're turning away from your old religious mindset. Graduate school. Faith, morals, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, kindness, love, what an exhaustive list. How in the world could we do this? What is this, a 12-step program that goes on for two weeks? What is this, something that we do in, in a month? What is this, a six-month process? By, the, by this time next year, will we we'll be finished with this? No. As long as you are living and breathing, you are constantly adding these to your life for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. Why, now, why would I want to do that? That sounds so difficult. Why would I want to do this? Why would I want to put this much effort in? 
Well, I'm glad you asked that question because Peter really sums it all up for us in verse number 10. He says, wherefore, just now, we, we stopped at verse number 8. Now we're going to verse number 10. He's concluding now. He's, he's wrapping it up. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make sure calling and election, make sure your calling and election is sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Man, I've been reading the Bible forever. I've read it from cover to cover. Are, are you telling me that there is, a, there is a way to make sure that I never backslide? Are you telling me there is, a, there is a remedy to make sure that I never fall from the grace of God? That I never fall away? It's right here. If you add these things to your life, if you're constantly developing... You'll never fall. It's not to say you're not going to trip up. That's not going to say that you're, you're not going to take a couple steps forward, then all of a sudden wipe out and realize, man, I failed that test. I fail tests all the time. Check my teachers with my teachers in school. I failed a lot of tests. But I, I failed a lot of spiritual tests. I can go in my mind right now to the place and the moment that God sent a test in my life to see if I was ready to pass to the next. And I failed it. I was in Anaheim. No, not Anaheim. I was in L.A. just a few years ago. Preached in a church, went wonderful, and all of a sudden a guy comes up after to me, uh, comes up to me after church, and he asks me a question. One of those loaded, baited questions to get you trapped into a conversation that you don't want to have. All of a sudden, I made the wrong decision. I engaged, and I failed a test. And I knew at the time I just failed this test. There was a door that was getting ready to open if I had passed the test but it was closed because I failed the test. Now fast forward, I'm not going to give specifics. I was presented with a test one more time of the same thing. And I knew in the moment, I was savvy. I knew this is the test. I failed it the last time. How am I going to act this time? And in the moment, whenever I consciously said, God is testing me and I made an effort to pass the test, there was something, there was a gifting that came over me. Despite the fact that I was being abused to my face and I was being ridiculed and I was being put down, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me and baptized me with some sort of grace that helped me to pass the test. And I graduated and I moved on. So why do we do this? Why do we add these things? Why do we keep this, this going? It's to not fall. It's to not uh, ever fall away, to backslide, to fall from Him. And, and, and beyond that, why do we do that? Whenever we don't have energy to do it. How do I do it when I don't have energy to do it? I believe there's some people in here that are saying... Man, you started off this list and it sounded easy, but by the time you got to the end of it, there was no possible way that I could do this. There's no possible way that I could complete this list. There's no possible way that I have the energy level to give to do this. 
Is it amazing how God provides us an escape? Is it amazing how God provides us relief and power? Isaiah chapter number 40, verse number 29. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint. Even the strong ones among us, even those that are so strong and full of energy, they're going to faint and be weary. The young men who should be so strong and able to stand, they, they shall utterly fall. But then there's a scripture that comes next that every single one of us have heard before and read many times. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God has this unique ability to present the challenge to you and then provide for you a way to meet the challenge. If we do what He's asked us to do. But those who wait... It just got finished saying that the, there's going to be a lot that fail. There's going to be a lot that fall. There's going to be a lot that, that should be strong, but they're not going to be strong enough. So all of this I said about turning takes energy. You're going to run out of energy. If you haven't yet, you will. You're going to run out of gas. You're not going to have any more to give. You're not going to be able to add any more. And that's the moment God is saying, I'm providing for you right now energy where you don't have energy anymore. Any more to give. I'm going to provide you some energy. I just want you to do something. I just want you to do something so incredibly profound. I want you to wait upon me. Not go to the gym. Don't hit the bench press. Don't hit the weights for a while. He didn't say that. Don't hit the spiritual weights for a while. Don't run a 5K. No, just wait upon me. Just wait upon me. What, what does wait upon me? How do I do that? Do I just stand here in place? Yeah, to some degree you are. But you're going to stand there like a waiter with the towel on the arm. And you're going to serve. Like a waiter in a restaurant coming, he's standing to the side just waiting. Uh, I perceive that you need something, so I'm going to bounce into place right now. What do you need me to do? God is saying, if you will serve, if you will serve the church, if you will serve the kingdom, if you will serve Him, if you will do something, if you, it, does, it doesn't matter what it is, whatever you can do, if you can do it, He's going to provide for you energy to keep adding to keep walking. I don't have the energy. I, I didn't even want to come today. I didn't, I didn't even want to show up today. Man, I walked in and I saw something in the floor and it just irritated me. Man, this place is dirty. 
not really, this place is great, but I'm saying I've been in churches before where it has been dirty and, and God is providing a test. Maybe he provided you a test. Maybe you walked through the parking lot and there was something on the ground right there. There was just something right there. And he said, okay, this is a moment for you. You can look at the rubbish on the ground and you can get irritated that it's dirty. You can look at the spider webs at the door and you can say, man, dude, does no one ever clean here? And you can start dwelling on the negative. Or... You can say, well, something needs to be done, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to pick this up. Did you feel that? All of a sudden, I just I feel this little burst of energy. I just, I just did this small little service for the kingdom. All of a sudden, there's energy in me. I, I feel better than I did when I came. I, I'm not as irritated as I was. I, I'm not looking around at all the negativity and, and, and everything that I can critique and knock. And I'm not looking at people like I just need to uh, slap them in the face anymore. I'm, I'm kinda, I kind of feel refreshed. Uh, maybe there's something else I can do. Maybe... Maybe there's something else I can do for the kingdom. Oh, this Kleenex box, it's right here in the center of the pew. Maybe I'll just tuck it in real nice here. Maybe I'll just I'll, 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 I'll wipe off some of this glitter on the, on the, <laughs> on the pew. Maybe, maybe I can do something for the kingdom. And then all of a sudden, whenever you do something for the kingdom, there's this power that comes into you that is supernatural that says, I'm going to provide for you energy to keep going. Preachers are not supermen. There is no way in the world that we can keep going on our energy alone. But there's something supernatural from God that says He's serving the kingdom. I know it's hard for Him right now. So I'm going to breathe some power and some energy, some life into Him. And it's not just preachers. It's saints in the pew. Whenever you didn't feel like coming today and you got up and you came anyway and you said, you know what? I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep serving the kingdom. I didn't feel like teaching today. I didn't feel like this. I didn't, I didn't feel like bringing the water bottle up to and doing that every service but the moment you decide to do it and you, the moment you decide to serve the kingdom <sighs> energy as we all stand Thank you so much for being here and indulging me in my long-winded attempt to repeat Brother Peter. Preach what he preached 2,000 years ago. And then preach what Isaiah preached 4,000 years ago. preaching the Word of God and the principles of the Word of God that has stood the test of time. But for some reason in 2023, we think they're so antiquated and ancient and old that they don't apply to our time and to our American sensibilities. But God somehow, through His grace and through His mercy, has reached through time to speak to us today. 
and say, I can provide for you. I can provide for you the energy. I can provide for you the motive. I can provide for you the means. I can provide for you everything you need to achieve what I'm asking you to achieve. And that is the very definition of a loving God that is holy but still loving. He's a holy God. He's separate. He is high. He is, he is beyond our comprehension. But because of His love, He's saying, I can provide for you everything you need to keep going. But it's so hard. It's so difficult. Yeah, it is hard. Yeah, it is difficult. Because everything worth achieving and worth having is difficult. In the spirit and in the natural. Everything that's worth achieving and having in your life is worth giving just a little bit of effort and energy to. Why don't you lift your hands, church, just for a moment. pray that this word has landed upon good ground today, God. I pray that you would rectoactively go back right now to the beginning of the message. Begin to shift and change and provide good ground for this word to land upon. The word that has gone into the ear would take root. And throughout this week and throughout this month and throughout the rest of the year, that the people of this congregation would grow strong because of the word that was preached. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let it be done according to your will according to your way and according to your principles that you've laid out before us in the Word of God. Who am I to go around your way? Who am I to go around the way that you've laid out for us? Who am I to think that I can skirt in and I can achieve and I can make it to heaven through any way that you've designed? Well, that would make me a thief and a robber and a liar. And that would make me someone that's spitting in the face of your very nature and of your plan. I don't want to be that. So we humble ourselves today, God, and we accept your plan. And we accept your strength and energy so, so much very stronger and greater than the energy and the effort that we give. It's 
altar area is open right now for anyone. I can feel in the Spirit that the Spirit of the Lord is tugging at the hearts of some of you today. I feel that He's been dealing with some of you for a few weeks now. Some of you may, you may not know how to respond. Well, there is no wrong response. Just respond. Just step out. Just move. Just lift up your hands. Just open up your voice. Just receive. Don't earn it. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to earn it. Just, just step out and say, okay, here I am. Here I am. Speak. Here I am. Speak. Here, here I am. Speak. Speak.